Welcome to episode 7 of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. On this episode, we have Dr. John Sorrentino. We'll call him the paleodentist. You know, he's... All joking aside, he's a... Dr. Sorrentino, he's a, he's a general dentist. You know, he's in New York running a classic, general, basic, you know, dental practice. Um, but through his continuing education and discovery and sticking with science, you know, he, he's, he's come to, to learn a few things. Um, and one of those is that he kind of figured out what he's, he, as he states, you know, um, he's treating a, a carbohydrate-based set of diseases. And I think that's pretty intriguing. Um, I don't know if you have any interest in dentistry or dental health at all, but I mean, you, you should, you, you know, this, this is pretty important stuff. And what it does is when you learn about this, it just lead, it just gives you the clues to the, your overall, um, the overall picture of health, you know, the, the large scope, um, the fact that uh, a minor or in some cases, major dietary change will prevent diseases, whether they be in your mouth or in your body. And um, this, from what I'm discovering, often is has to do with the elimination of carbohydrates. Uh, the important thing here is that what I want to say is that I highly respect Dr. Sorrentino because as he stated uh, towards the end of the interview, you know, follow the science. This is a science-based individual He's not espousing any insane conspiracy theories or, you know, doing things on a whim. He, as the science leads him down a path, he's correcting course and altering his um, general dental practice. He's also offering nutrition advice to his clients. And, well, that's enough of me. Let's get into the interview here with uh, Dr. John Sorrentino the paleodentist, as we follow the science. Welcome to another edition of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Today, super special guest with us, Dr. John Sorrentino. Uh, this interview was inspired by my previous interview with Dr. Jack Cruz, and uh, super lucky, um, Dr. Sorrentino reached out and said, hey, do you want to talk uh, paleo, nutrition, and dental health? And I said, absolutely. So here we go. Um, Dr. John Sorrentino, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah, it was a real surprise that you contacted me. I'm, I'm glad um, you, you heard uh, me and uh, Dr. Cruz talking. And um, let's get, on, get, get into your background. And um, so I think um, you've got about 20 years of um, dental experience. Yep. I've uh, graduated uh, dental school in 1990. I worked for another dentist for a year and bought a practice from a retired dentist in a place called Hopewell Junction, New York. It's near Poughkeepsie. It's probably on the northernmost suburbs of New York City, um, probably 
you know, an hour outside of Manhattan, maybe a little more, hour ten minutes to drive, and uh, it's it's been fun. You know, I have uh, I treat families. I do uh, basic dentistry. Yeah, and how did you um, get into dentistry? Is, is this something you went straight into? Yes, I did. I went uh, straight route: high school, college, dental school, graduated, started practice. Um, something I always wanted to do, and I'm enjoying doing it. And when you enjoy what you do, you know it's not work. <laughs> That's pretty great to hear. It's not work. Yeah, if you're doing something for 20 years and if you're not burned out on it, I think that's um, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, thanks. Um, so let's go. Um, we're thinking about the, um, nutrition and health and teeth and how this all ties together. That's the reason um, for, for talking to you. Um, mm. I guess you're just a standard dentist, right? You're not um, espousing any um, radical views or doing um, holistic alternative dental therapies, are you? No, not really. I, I do uh, do a lot with continuing education, and the dentistry that I practice now is not necessarily the dentistry that I did when I graduated. For example, I don't place silver fillings, and I would encourage anybody, if your dentist still does, to find a new dentist because uh, you know, putting uh, heavy metals in your mouth is not the best thing for you, and the technology has improved. And, okay. Uh, as, as far as the nutrition is concerned, I, it occurred to me that I treat a carbohydrate-based set of diseases, and that if you remove the carbohydrates from the equation, then the need, your personal needs for dentistry are going to fall dramatically. So That's something we're going to need to cover in, in great detail then, the carbs issue. Um, real sure. quick on the silver um, is this the silver itself is the problem, or is it in, in a matrix or some type of solution with other metals that causes the toxicity? It's, well, the problem I have, both. The problem I have with uh, silver fillings is the mercury in them is generally considered safe in terms of that it's, <clears throat> it's bound to other things. It's not mm -hmm. methyl mercury. That said... I can think of very few reasons why you want to put it in your body, you know, mm -hmm. you know, in case something happens. But, uh, you know, if you think, if you take a glass of water and, and put it in the freezer overnight, the ice expands and it will crack the glass. Mm -hmm. Over time, silver tends to expand at a greater rate than tooth, as you, as you uh, what we call thermocycledom. You know, if you drink something hot, drink something cold, the uh, silver expands and contracts greater than uh, than the uh, tooth, and they tend to crack teeth. Oh, interesting. And, so and, the uh, silver fillings just don't last. Correct. I mean, they'll last. Uh, yeah, and it's it's size dependent. I'm I'm in my late 40s now, and I had some placed when I was 16. Over uh, within the last five years, two of them cracked, and I've got a number of smaller ones that are still there. So, you know, I don't think you, it's necessary to go around removing every single silver filling, but, uh, you know, at okay. the same time, you don't replace them with new ones because all you're going to get is a bigger silver filling and then, you know, perhaps a crown and, uh, you know, certainly root canals are something we want to avoid. Okay. And while we're on the uh, precious metals, what about gold? Do they use gold anymore? 
Yes, they do. And gold is a terrific uh, material to use. I consider gold artificial enamel. Uh, the only problem with gold is you don't want it in a front tooth. Oh, it, wear, okay. it wears at the same rate as, uh, as tooth enamel. So it's, it's a terrific restorative material. Uh, the other downside of gold is right now it's running around $1,600, $1,700 an ounce. So right, it becomes, right. It becomes very expensive very quickly. I was going to say then, how, in a typical filling, how much, um, what, what would the weight be? Just a fraction okay. of that? or is, is it an ounce? Yeah, just a fraction of that. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be an ounce. An ounce is a, would get you several several fillings yeah but um you know it'd still be you know two three hundred dollars worth of gold possibly oh uh, interesting yeah that's kind of curious i know my grandfather had his teeth filled during world war ii and he's just he's just got a big shiny gold mouth <laughs> so yeah and they're still there right yes yes they are mm-hmm. yeah, yeah with proper care they can last a lifetime well, except for the ones that have fallen out due to his advanced age and poor nutrition and you know how that goes but so carbs this is um kind of a my pet project of mine after experimenting with a low carb high fat diet myself over the past um year or so well i'm mixing i'm blending a few uh, ideas paleo primal low carb high fat but anyways all of them have one common characteristic and that is lower carb intake and especially i'm at near zero sugars except for a few fermented beverages that I make, but that's another story. Um, so lowering carbs, and we're gonna help our teeth? Yes. Well, the bottom line is that if most people who go uh, low carb do it because they wanna lose weight. And as you know, it's a very successful uh, modality for weight loss. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me and that, and that's one of the things that I did. I didn't have a lot of weight to lose. I lost about 30 pounds. And it occurred to me, like I said, that I treat a carbohydrate-based disease and that the prescription for good dental health is the same as a primal blueprint hmm. in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, being, being low carbs. And I said, how come I'm the one that figures this out? And... <laughs> I said, and I start telling people, and they're like, "Oh no, no, you can't, you can't do that." You know, we've got to have our healthy whole grains, mm-hmm. or uh, sweets are okay. And I'm like, "Well, what you don't understand is that carbohydrates are not an obligate nutrient for people." I mean, how many times, on how many blogs have you read that uh, you know there is no disease, carbohydrate deficiency syndrome, or sugar deficiency syndrome? <laughs> right. You yeah. know, you don't need them. <laughs> Yeah, to and me, not only that, you're going to live much healthier without them. Yeah, to me, it's old news, but I don't mind you saying it over and over again. I don't care if every guest I have on repeats it um, because it's new news to many people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's important news nonetheless. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think. Mine, oh, go ahead. You know, um, so I don't know how how fast I want to move into this, but um, so we have this carb issue in the um, in the diet and in the food health, and then um, nutrition. And then we have this idea of acids. Don't we have an acid-based overall 
um, definition for uh, tooth decay? Isn't it based on acids? Okay, I have a um, a post on my blog, and I'm relatively new to doing this, so there's not a lot to get lost on okay. on my website yet. But it's called How to Eliminate Tooth Decay. Okay. And what they do, there are three determinants of tooth of tooth decay, whether it occurs or not. And that's usually represented in a Venn diagram with three circles that looks like the old Ballantine beer ad, where you have one circle represents teeth. One circle represents um, fermentable carbohydrates, also known as sugars or um, yeah, anything but insoluble carbohydrates. Okay. And the third circle represents the type of bacteria that cause tooth decay. And where these circles intersect, you have tooth decay. You need the bacteria that cause it, um, that produce the acid, which uh, dissolves the enamel, which starts the uh, process going. And in dentistry, very often what we do is we concentrate on eliminating the bacterial load by uh, you know brushing, flossing, and all that, and that's good. We concentrate on trying to strengthen the teeth by uh, putting uh, you know fluoride on the teeth. But you know we really haven't done anything with the um, carbohydrate side of the equation. And when it occurred to me that they're not an obligate nutrient, if you, it doesn't matter what else you do. If you never brush your teeth. If you don't have these in your diet, you are not going to get decay. Hmm. Now, I don't recommend that, of course. Brush your teeth, please. Yeah, you know, but, and especially with the standard American diet, you're never going to yeah. tell someone, don't brush your teeth uh, like um, some primitive culture did, and you're going to be fine because that's impossible today. Yeah, Eating a I wanna, standard I wanna, diet. I want to touch on that, too, because of the project I'm doing with Dr. Unger. And uh, I was first intrigued about this in the early 90s, when I visited him, he was at Stony Brook, and he took me into the bone room. And uh, we looked at all these skulls, and they were big. They each had 32 teeth. That's the regular complement of teeth with your, um, with your uh, wisdom teeth, and nothing was impacted. Nothing was crooked. And I said, there must be something about what we've been doing how old, how old were the skulls you were looking at here? The skulls we were looking at were anywhere from 220,000 to 15,000 years old. Years old, okay. You know, so, I mean, it covered a huge, huge span. <laughs> yeah, that's a remarkably long time. time. Right. And uh, we had talked about writing a paper on it, and we never did. We went our separate ways. I mean... He went on to uh, bigger and better things, and uh, you know I must realize I'm probably getting old when uh, my friends are heads of major departments at universities. <laughs> he's, the, he's the chairman of the anthropology department at the University of Arkansas. Okay, right all right. And I got talking to him about this again, and he put together a proposal for a catalyst meeting which is going to occur in March, which is kind of like a grand round between uh, clinicians and uh, academicians. And it's run by the academicians, so they call all the shots. But, um, you know, we get to go and hear, you know, what they have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can tell a lot about, you know, what people ate by looking at their teeth in terms of uh, the wear patterns 
you know, whether they ate a grain-based diet or a meat-based diet, you know, you know, something that doesn't really have applications to clinical dentistry, mm-hmm. but the anthropologists are all over this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can also tell by, you know, the radioisotope analysis of the bones, you know, what the people were eating, and, uh, you know, they're going to bring that information to us, and then, you know, we're going to share it and see, you know, what we can do to develop strategies to, um, you know, help people take better care of their teeth. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so this is um, kind of like a, the paleo dentistry then. Absolutely, yes. Because that defines the Paleolithic era to a T, right? That's this, these are the exact peoples that you're looking at. So not only were they born... Well, let me ask you this. Are you born with crooked teeth or do they become crooked? You, they become crooked. And you know what? That is an area that it's going to take, it's going to take a while to sort out. Hmm. Um, d- dentistry, like I said, we treat basically three different things. Okay. Tooth decay, periodontitis, and crooked teeth, which scientifically is called malocclusions. And it's a growth and development issue. So, you know, is it because we're cooking food more and we're eating more processed food? You know, that's kind of what the thinking has been. But if you look at it from a Paleolithic point of view, it seems that, uh, you know, perhaps it has more to do, the growth and development has to do with glycation, the formation of advanced glycation end products. Perhaps it's not causing... Uh, jaws to grow properly, you know, so I'm saying th- this is, you know, going to be major research. There's going to be PhDs made on this, and it's going to take some time to sort out because we've been cooking food longer than we've been a species. You know, Homo sapiens have mm-hmm. been around for a quarter million years, and the oldest cooking hearths are about 700,000 years old, and I'm told that cooking hearths are, you know, very common worldwide 350,000 years ago so cooking not only predates us as a species it is something that actually defines us you know in our genus or something very interesting yeah interesting that it is a part of our our natural way that after this great length of time um, we're not just a human animal but because of our brain and our capacity to think that it is natural for us to use these technologies so is it that we're cooking food? No, I right. don't think it's that we're cooking food. Okay. Is it that we're cooking processed food? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, pro- probably. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond that, it gets to be it gets to be speculative, spe- speculative. Mm-hmm. But but it's an educated speculation. You so know. so all that you're we're learning about and talking about right now, it looks like maybe we should just all go back and study Weston A. Price, and we'll be good. <laughs> yeah, the, the knowledge that he brought forward is uh, impressive, and the fact that people are re-examining this is uh, is absolutely terrific. And uh, I've been told uh, Santa is bringing me one of his books. Oh, great! I've read a lot about him, but uh, you know I haven't actually sat down with his book yet. Yeah, which, uh, I, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I was surprised to learn from um, Dr. Cruz that he had never heard of Weston A. Price until I don't know whatever he said, maybe two years ago. But he's been a dentist for, I don't know, 20 years, right? Same length as time as you. Well, he's moved on to bigger and better things. He's a neurosurgeon now. Yeah. But, <laughs> and it took a long time. I mean, had you heard of, heard of Weston A. Price? 
I did not hear of him per se in dental school, but you know, once I started uh, learning about Paleolithic nutrition myself, which uh, was in the spring of 2010, the name came up, and I looked it up in my dental books, mm-hmm. and he's he's there. Oh, okay. Uh, he he was one of the uh, bigwigs in dentistry in the early 20th century. Uh, was a very wealthy man and uh, traveled the world, and. Uh, you know, very curious man, which is why we have these wonderful resources of his that, uh, you know, he you know, cataloged uh, dentistry, you know, in the state of people's health and teeth all over the world. And, uh, you know, he did, but he, he developed things such as um, the, uh, it's called the bisecting angle technique, the technique that I use, most every dentist uses to take x-rays today, okay. developed by him. But, uh, you know, it wasn't given the name the Weston Price technique or the Price <laughs> technique. That's so it. we didn't learn it. But as I learned, rediscovered about Weston Price, I went back and looked and said, "Oh, he did this and he did that and he did that too." And uh, he, but he fell out of favor uh, mostly because of the focal infection theory. Focal you know, infection which, theory. Yes, which is um, has to do with uh, you know getting back to uh, root canals, mm-hmm. and he advocated the extraction of teeth when they found that they could actually save them with root canals. Now, I personally take a little bit different approach. Root canals are not going to go away anytime soon. But if you take a paleolithic approach to your diet, you're never going to be in the position where you need one. Okay, good. Okay, this is where I really wanted to get into. Um, Sure. You're not... I like the fact that um, although you're considering all these things, you're you're not one of these renegades who's just saying, you know, no fluoride, no root canals, no no this, no that. But but that with a sensible diet, we can avoid these hazards or these potential hazards, whether it be like you said the um, the the bad fillings or, or or any of these other problems. So that we we can help ourselves with this diet. Yes, that, that's my position now, and I reserve the right to change it in the future, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I, you know, I want to follow the science. You know, if I find that doing root canals is hurting people, I want to stop doing them. Okay. But at the same time, it's one of the most disfiguring things that you can do to a person. Mm-hmm. Nobody, what other part of the human body is voluntarily amputated? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody has their fingers cut off because they have an infection or their foot cut off, you know, it's treated another way. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, especially if it's a front tooth, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. I mean, yeah, we could put an implant there, but that's, you know, more of a process. So, uh, you so know, my- a root canal, let help me out here. It, you are, uh, in effect, killing the, the living tooth, but leaving it in place. Is that yeah. accurate? You're taking the nerve out of the tooth and, um, you're stopping the fluid flow. Teeth have a natural centrifugal flow of fluid from the inside or pulp. Uh, think teeth follow inside. And mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a nerve, a nerve chamber with blood flow. And a fluid, mostly water, flows through the tooth to nourish the tooth. And uh, that it's controlled by a hormone in the uh, parotid gland. And guess what blocks this hormone carbohydrates 
<laughs> surprise. Huh. And, you know, none of this was taught to me in dental school. In fact, uh, you know, we know that most uh, disease processes in the body was is inflammation. And I would have six months ago said that uh, tooth decay is an exception to that. But I recently read a paper tying tooth decay to inflammation through this process called the Systemic Theory of Dental Caries. Caries is the scientific name for tooth decay. Okay. And, and this was published in the Academy of General Dentistry uh, magazine. So, I mean, this, this is all mainstream stuff. You know, this isn't, you know, out there or controversial. And I didn't learn any of it in dental school. <laughs> and the, <You> know? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. Can we blame dental school, or can we blame just our lack of knowledge? I don't. It's not a conspiracy that they didn't teach you this. You know, it seems like we're in the dark ages, and there's just a few of us that are wake up that wake up occasionally. Well, see, I see it more of the more of a renaissance. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. You know, see, I'm a half, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. So. <laughs> well, I, I see, especially with um, the internet and social media. That uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these um, things are changing. That you know, I'm learning things that I should have known or wasn't taught, and that you know, I can say, well, you know, where did you get that? And uh, you know, instead of saying it's quackery or something, mm-hmm. you know, I can get the references for it and look at it and say, oh, this is legit, or or this is just plain nuts. Mm-hmm. Okay, this this I have the um, again on my website. I have. The uh, article can be downloaded. Okay, great. And, yeah. and read. I'll definitely have links to, to all that in there for sure. Yeah, that's on my uh, on my blog. It's uh, the systemic theory of dental caries. It's by a. Um, it's written by a dentist, Ken Southward, and it was in the October issue of uh, General Dentistry, which is the magazine of the Academy of General Dentistry. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have that link in the show notes. On to, so let's say if um, someone has moved on and uh, we're talking about a, 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 a paleoprimal eater, mm-hmm. um, what, what is the standard health uh, tooth care or mouth care for just at home, general purpose? Is it the same? I would, I would think so. I would think, you know, brush and floss your teeth, um, go to the dentist. We have uh, wonderful new technologies that... Uh, I have a laser that uh, it's called the diagonal dent that can actually measure the amount of mineral loss in a tooth, and when it reaches a certain point, it will tell you whether there's uh, decay or not. And if it's at an intermediate value, you know we can you know certainly write that down and monitor it before we decide whether we have to do do it or not, because teeth to a point can be remineralized. That that is absolutely true. Now, there is a point where you reach a point of no return where you definitely need a filling. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly in the smaller stages, that can be done. You mean remineralized naturally? Yes. With your, your body will do that? Yes. Okay. Your saliva, the, um, your saliva is full of um, potassium and calcium ions. And uh, I think, uh, what was it, Weston Price, he called it factor X, which is vitamin K2. Hmm. Uh, plays a plays a role in that as well. Interesting. So I mean that's that's all absolutely true. And um, uh, let's talk about acids for a second. As acidic foods, these are obviously going to be harmful to enamel. 
right? Am I or was two, I stepping, up, <laughs> stepping too far? Well, that, that's interesting. Um, I believe that's going to be an area of research in the future because not all acids are created equal. Not all acids have the same pH. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the acids that are, um, are the problems are caused by the bacteria and not naturally occurring. I, I, I'm sorry, are not um, you know, the naturally occurring ones in fruits oh, or uh, even, you know, or even carbonic acid and soda. Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily the problem. I mean, if you have enough of it, it will be, but uh, that's generally not the problem. Right. And the acid is an irritant in the process, but it's not what causes the tooth decay because the enamel is the outermost layer. It's not tooth decay or caries until it gets to the dentin, Mm. which is another layer underneath the enamel. And... That the um, decay is caused not by the bacteria, but by the proteolytic enzymes, collagenase, that uh, you're, um, are produced by the human body, which is just amazing. <laughs> so, you know, until it reaches the point of no return, that can be remineralized. It can be remineralized, okay. Yeah, yeah and one of the reasons I was asking about acids is that I um, consume a lot of uh, fermented foods. That's my... Mm-hmm. That's my thing that I do is, uh, you know, ferment uh, vegetables and, and roots and, and other things. And these are all acidic foods. I also make kombucha. I don't know if you're from, familiar with that beverage. It's a, it's a fermented tea. And it's, it can be very acidic, as low as even 2.5 to 3.5, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was just, I was just wondering what, what you would think the long-term effect of eating these fermented lactic acid-based foods would be? That's a fair question, and I do have an answer for you. I don't think you have very much to worry about, but uh, I would certainly, I think you should get your teeth cleaned, just like professionally cleaned Mm -hmm. on a regular basis and have that monitored. But the reason I don't think it's a problem at all is um, bulimia patients. Okay. Bulimia, stomach acid, has a, has a pH of uh, 1, and you talk to any dentist who's been in practice long, long enough, we've all seen bulimia patients, and it looks like it just wears the enamel away very slowly, hmm. you know, kind of like erosion. There's this erosive effect on the back of, of the teeth, but it doesn't cause caries. Now, if they have a high sugar diet, you can have both superimposed. You can have the carry superimposed on it, but but the know, acid in itself isn't going to cause the decay. It'll just cause correct. the erosion of the enamel. Correct. That's what the problem would be. Mm-hmm. And again, your saliva is full of um, buffering agents. So unless you're actually pooling this material, uh, these fermented uh, foods in your mouth. You know, for long periods of time, or sleeping, gargling with it, and sleeping. <laughs> right. You know, right, right. I, I, I don't go to bed with kimchi in my mouth. No, so. Okay. No, I was looking at some pictures of that on your website. That's <laughs> pretty fascinating. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think you have much to worry about. I would encourage you to brush your teeth afterwards, and uh, you know, certainly have it have it monitored, and tell your dentist that you do consume foods high in acid. But, uh, you know, acid, yeah. acid attack is a very slow process. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the bulimia patients, they're 
uh, regurgitating acid of a pH of one. Of one, right. And, <laughs> and we're not seeing decay. We are seeing eros- erosive effects. Think, okay. think of, uh, you know, round stones in a stream, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing that occurs over time. Okay. So. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is fermented foods may be quite high in K2, but that's debatable. I'm, I'm always skeptical on the science I read about what vitamins present themselves in fermented foods um, because no one has the money to do a study <laughs> of fermented foods. So it's a lot of folklore. It's a lot of hit or miss. Um, so I... You know, I never want to make a claim like that, um, exactly what what uh, special vitamins or nutrients might be present in the, in the fermented foods, but K2 has been mentioned. Um, well, let me ask you, since, since you've been primal, have you uh, noticed, have you had a high decay rate? I think my teeth are healthier than, than they've been in forever. Actually, about... Uh, let's see, 2002, I developed a giant hole between my two front bottom teeth, mm-hmm. and I never took care of it at all, and it has kind of filled in with God knows what over time, tartar, plaque, I don't know, and um, yeah, and occasionally that flakes out of there, mm-hmm. and it's real sharp, and you know, it's not a fun thing to have, but that tartar down there has receded, it, it's... Mm-hmm. And not in a bad way. It, it's it's like um, it used to feel like a lump on my tooth at the base of my teeth, and now it feels like my regular tooth shape down there. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but no. Tar- tartar formation is a natural process. Um, <clears throat> it varies from person to person. When you go primal, I've seen it both ways. I've seen people build up more tartar. I've seen people that build less tartar. Uh, I've also heard that when you cut out dairy, you don't see it. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It depends on the individual person's biochemistry, mm-hmm. whether, it's going to, whether it's going to occur or not. It is a natural process, and I told you about the Paleolithic skulls that I've examined. Right. They had tartar, too. Oh, okay. Okay, and that's actually a, um, a protective mechanism of your body. Mm to uh, those are the calcium and phosphate ions and they're in your saliva to help remineralize your teeth naturally and it forms on the bottom teeth in the in the front of your mouth and guess which teeth have the lowest caries rate in the human body <laughs> probably those very teeth right? yeah, the same, right? that's Funny. absolutely true so I always thought that was because there were cavities tend to develop on those flat surfaces of molars rather than that sharp top of a tooth. I thought maybe there would be something to that. Like, they were easier to clean, or they were constantly being kept clean. No, cavities come, cavities come in two varieties. There's what, what are called pit and fissure cavities, which you just described, which occur in the grooves, or the flat tops of mm. the molars, or okay. the valleys. And then there are what's called smooth surface cavities. And the smooth surface cavities occur in between the teeth. And that's the kind of cavities that flossing uh, prevents. Mm, interesting. Now, any from this is important. Any fermentable carbohydrate that the bacteria can get a hold of in your mouth can cause cavities in the pits and fissures of your teeth. The smooth surface cavities can only be initiated by sugar. Hmm. 
Okay, a bacteria is called strep mutans has been implicated in it. And this bacteria is very good at breaking the uh, bond between, uh, between fructose and uh, glucose that occurs in uh, sucrose, which is a disaccharide, I'm sure you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, and so I've got one thing to say in defense of high fructose corn syrup before I rip it apart okay. and tell you not, not, not to use it. Uh, we were taught, and I do believe this is true, in dental school, that high fructose corn syrup is better than sugar because the fructose and the glucose molecules are not connected. Hmm. And they are... Uh, and the uh, strep mutans causes the smooth surface to decay because it likes to break that bond between the fructose and the glucose. And uh, let me tell you, when I was in school, I drank a lot of Coca-Cola. Okay. And I don't have any of the smooth surface decay in my mouth. Huh. I've, I've had a number of uh, you know, pit and fissure decays over the years, mm-hmm. you know, mostly before then. But, uh, you know, when you want to you know, stay up all night, you know, sugar rush, caffeine... Right. You know, all that. But, uh, you know, and that's all made with high fructose corn syrup. So that said, so in that regard, it is better. Now, that said, we know that fructose is really bad for you, and they're both carbohydrates, and they're processed carbohydrates. So stay away from them. It should be avoided <laughs> anyways, right, regardless of uh, whether it has <laughs> right. a, but a to- bad negative effect on your teeth. What about the acid content of sodas? Would that be potentially bad? Well, well, again, that's the carbonic acid, mm-hmm. and again, I phosphoric don't think acid is in phosphoric there. acid. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not going to cause decay. Okay, you know, it's the bacterial acids that are really the problem here. And again, your saliva has a uh, buffering effect against that, so uh, you know we're not really seeing par- problems with that. I mean, people drink club soda. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still drink seltzer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nobody in the primal or paleo communities has said, don't drink, uh, don't drink uh, seltzer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not getting cavities. But, uh, again, this is, uh, you know, sound, sounds like somebody's uh, idea of a research grant to me. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You know, so typically when I see, uh, I see people, uh, because I've always had an interest in oral care, uh, me and my yeah. wife and I always notice or have conversations with people um, she has a, some coworker, a coworker who has just horrific nightmare, lifetime story of dental problems. Mm-hmm. They eat mall cafeteria food all day long and drink Mountain Dew all day okay. long. Um, just a, a, the tip, like the prototypical worst end of this American, you know, standard American diet. The worst end of that spectrum of that. I guess when you p- combine all those things. That's the recipe for disaster, not if you drink a soda now and then or something. It's when you, you know, you're combining all these refined foods and the sugars and the soda, then that could be the recipe, right? Right. It's also, it's, it's dose dependent that, uh, you know, if for some reason you want to have a soda, I would say drink it fast and brush your teeth. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you sip it all day long. You know, you could two people could have consume the same amount of soda. The one who guzzles it and brushes their teeth versus the one who sips it all day long. The one who sips it all day long is going to get tooth decay, much more likely. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the last soda I ever had was actually, uh, I was actually uh, doing paleo pretty well, but I was, uh, I was at a um, canopy tour. It was in the Adirondack Mountains in New York, and, uh, you know, we went, started at 11 o'clock, and we finished about 3 o'clock, never had uh, lunch, and I just wore out my glycogen supply. We were up in the trees. Mm-hmm. It was rainy. I had my kids with me, and, uh, you know, they wanted to do a number of courses, and the last one's the black course, and you're 40 feet up in the air hanging by a wire. Wow. And um, dealing with a 12-year-old who's all of a sudden <laughs> crying. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Right, right. Okay, you know what? Her glycogen gave out before mine. Uh-huh. And uh, I, went, I went to finish, and all of a sudden, you know, every muscle in my body was shaking. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, my blood sugar is dropping through the floor here. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got off there, I, uh, you know, picked up a, uh, you know, a cola and drank it. And, uh, you know, I just considered it medicine at the time. <laughs> at that but time. Ter- and that's, yeah. In that yeah. rare instance, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to see this stuff banned, but, you know, that's kind of, you know, what you're going to use it for. You Are, know, it's not- well, I like your common sense approach. Are you familiar with Robert Lutz, excuse me, Robert Lustig? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, he has been revolutionary in uncovering. The, you know, well, it's called the truth and sugar, but his p- political stances frighten me. Yes, he, I was just going. I was just going to say that. I'm not, and I'm not kidding. I'm not. I don't mean. I mean, people like that frighten me. The, the, they want government interaction. You know, um, involvement. They want higher taxes, banning of products. I am so glad you brought that up because I loved sugar the bitter truth i right. think it should be required watching for everybody 90, the first it's 90 minutes long it's absolutely terrific he's dead on mm-hmm. but uh it's something about being in san francisco he got too close to the flame uh the regulators or whatever mm-hmm. but uh you know one thing about i know about human nature is when you tax something people will go to extraordinary measures to avoid the tax mm-hmm. Now, I live in upstate New York, and, you know, my kids love every spring to tap maple trees and make maple syrup. Mm-hmm. And if you start taxing something as basic as sugar, uh, I assure you, in this part of the country, every maple tree north of Central Park is going to have a tap. Tax yeah, right. You know? And <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sugar, I mean, come on, it comes out of trees around here. Right. That's fixed. Yeah. That, that uh, you know, I don't want to tax it. You know, what I want to do is educate people, let people make their own common sense decisions about what's right for them. But you know, you have to get them the right information. So I, I was very disappointed. I did see that thing where he wanted to tax sugar. Yeah, so he, tax- it'll be a continuing effort. I, he's really hell bent on this issue. I, he think I think this will become an, a movement for him, which is very unfortunate. But, anyways. Yeah, Michelle Obama wants to tax fat. He wants to tax sugar. Um, yeah. We're left with uh, what we're all got to eat protein, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, you know, some things will help. <laughs> but, um, it, I was going to say, it's interesting that uh, if you look, no matter where you look, people usually eat 30 to 40% of their calories in protein, and the rest comes from a mixture of either carbs or fat. Mm-hmm. And your body doesn't care which, and uh, we know that fats are better than mm-hmm. carbohydrates. So, uh, no, I mean, the, 
I mean, we got we got to get the uh, truth out there, you know, for people to understand, and again, have people make informed decisions. You know, what's right for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if they have to tax something, we'll let them pick the sugar and let, leave the fat for us then. Right. And I've always, <laughs> well, I've always thought the purpose of a tax is to run the necessary function of government that I don't like it when they use um, taxes for uh, social engineering. Social engineering, like behavioral therapy or <laughs> fixing the, what you just, de- yeah, whatever you determine is the wrong thing by... Right. Right. And, I know, and I know that's not going away. I mean, I know, but, you know, when uh, the government, when I say the government, I mean, you know, local, federal, state, makes more money on a pack of cigarettes than the guy who makes it, you know, maybe, okay, if it's that bad, but let's ban it, get rid of it. But, uh, you, know, you know, as soon as the government starts taxing it, they have an incentive to make a profit from it. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a new revenue stream. So, you know, if they start taxing sugar, what's going to happen then is they're going to want people to consume sugar so that they have their revenue stream. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem I see. Indeed. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, let's move away from that before I go down that rat hole too far. <laughs> you get me started, I'll never shut up about that. I was going to say, we could go on for an hour. Yeah. Let me, um, let me throw one question at you from a listener, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Uh, um, for, this is from the blog, from the website. Um, it just mentions um, sensitive teeth, question mark, any tips? Sensitive teeth? Yeah. See a, den- see a dentist. See a dentist. <laughs> no, what I'll, about the Sensodyne toothpaste and the things like that? I don't have any, I don't have any problem with that. They make uh, very good desensitizers. Usually, a uh, sensitive teeth, you have exposed dentin. Now, just to give you a little background information, we talked about tooth enamel. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the outer covering of the tooth. We talked about the pulp. That's where the nerve runs in the center of the tooth. Teeth are hollow. In between, what makes up the bulk of the tooth is a material called dentin. Okay, it's a living tissue. It's a calcified tissue. It's roughly the um, calcification level of bone, where enamel is a much more dense material. And if you have a little bit of periodontitis or gum recession, some of the dentin can be exposed. And since it's a living tissue, it's infused with lots of tubules. And when you say sensitivity, it's usually sensitivity to cold. To cold. Okay. Right. Sometimes heat. And what's going on is that stimulus is being transmitted to the nerve and the nerve can only send one signal to the brain and that is pain like if you touch your hand mm-hmm. you know you can touch you can feel hot you can feel cold you can feel uh, pressure mm-hmm. you know you can feel uh, warmth okay you hit your tooth with any of those the signal it sends to your brain is pain just pain okay just pain yeah there's no levels of pleasure and there's no other signal right. there's just oh that hurts really bad okay so the treatment in that case is to close the tubules and there are if you go to the dentist if it's really bad we have feelers that we can apply immediately and uh, from a professional point of view uh, it's one of the more satisfying things I do because it never hurts 
and the um, relief is immediate. Because hmm. so, I, I know a, someone who has suffered with sensitive teeth her whole life, and she's um, at least in her upper 60s. And she's been seeing a dentist her whole life, and she still has horribly sensitive teeth. Is she just, does she just have a bad dentist, perhaps? Uh, it could be she has ongoing periodont- periodont- periodontal disease, okay. where it's just she's got little areas uh, constantly being exposed. Uh, perhaps she's got thinner enamel than other people. It's you know you kind of hard to make a diagnosis from a distance. Yeah, no, you know yeah, I, I wasn't mean? expecting that. So yeah, so there is more to it than just yeah. there is. Okay, I'll give you another one. Yeah, let's say she's got uh, large silver fillings in her teeth. Mm-hmm. Okay, metal's a great conductor of temperature. Hmm. So, you know, if she drinks some iced tea and uh, the teeth are sensitive, so, you know, or for whatever reason hasn't laid down secondary dentin. So, yeah, there are, there are other reasons, which, again, I can't make the diagnosis. Yeah, that, that's, I understand. But gen- that. generally speaking, teeth shouldn't be sensitive, you know, and that's very easy to treat. Mm-hmm. What, help me understand something. I don't know if we, I want to back up for a second because it just, sure. the thought popped in my head. Back to silver and the replacements, the new replacements for that. Mm-hmm. Are there any damaging? So are the, the new replacements are good? Well, gold is an old replacement, and that's right. always best. We I would covered that to, one, okay. Yep, I would love to do that. Uh, we have the white filling materials. Are uh, There's two problems with them. That uh, One is most of them contain BPA. BPA. That's okay. the hot the topic plastic. right now. Right. Right. Now, I believe that'll be worked out in the near future. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of the dental materials are proprietary in terms of they're not going to tell you what's in it because they don't want their competitors to know, hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I do believe that'll be worked out. And the other is some of them have fluoride in the matrix. So if you don't want fluoride, you know, not only do you have to say no fluoride, you have to check the materials. Oh, these white yeah. fillers are what they just commonly refer to as porcelain fillers. That's usually right. what they call it, right? Right. Well, white fillings, it's uh, composite. Okay. Composite fillings, not the porcelain. And also, a lot of the dental cements have fluoride in the matrix, too. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. Mm-hmm. That's pretty easy to find out. And I, ha- I have both kinds in my office. So if somebody says, look, I don't want any fluoride, I can I have cement without fluoride and I have filling material without fluoride. But, uh, you know, like I said, the easiest way to avoid making bad choices is, you know, to be, uh, eat paleo because you're not <laughs> going to get cavities. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep your, you're going to keep your weight under control. You're going to keep your blood pressure under control. You know, all the, all these good things, you know, your chances of diabetes drop through the floor, your chances of getting cavities drop to the floor as well. Awesome. Is this going to be something that's going to be a part of, um, your upcoming seminar, or is there going to be some, um, say, is there a potential for a trial or something, that, a clinical trial where we can actually get some data on paleo and tooth health? Well, I'm, I'm a clinician right now, so, uh, you know, my job, as I see it, is to find some academicians and put a bug in their ear about okay. this stuff. And I'm actually speaking to a uh, dental society on this um, next month, or actually February. I'll okay. be speaking on it. And, uh, you know, I've invited some of my classmates who are in academics to come and listen to it because I think that's where, you know, this is going, that's going to occur. 
that, uh, you know, first of all, we need to, uh, you know, find some people, you know, and you, you need quite a few people to, uh, you know, run a study like that. Yeah, at least in the blogosphere, we're going to get a lot of anecdotal evidence that, you know, we'll be able to have people report because there are millions of active paleo bloggers and commenters out there. So at least we can get collect a lot of anecdotal data. Oh, I believe that. And, uh, and again, we know what causes tooth decay. It's not a secret. And <laughs> if, we, if we eliminate the sugar and eliminate the carbs, like I said, you could do whatever you want. You're not going to get tooth decay. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's like a three-legged stool. You take yeah. out that stool. Do you have any... Take out that one leg and, uh, you know, you're not going to get... Uh, yeah. And ha- have you done any... Um, have you looked into at all any... Let's just throw quotes up in the air. Superfoods that could really boost the mineral, you know, remineralization of teeth. I've read about organ meats, you know, liver, things like this. Have you looked, have you read anything about that? Um, not really. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, I'll give you the standard answer, which is, uh, you know, calcium, phosphate, uh, fluoride makes teeth stronger. That's the good part of fluoride, you know, in terms of, you know, remineralizing the matrix, but, uh, Again, some people don't want that, and uh, don't know what else to say. Okay, that, that's I mean, fine. Your, your, your body does it naturally. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, the, yeah, these are just things know. I've read, like through the West N.A. Price Foundation. You know, they're very big on organ meats, and that's one of the reasons is for dental health. And um, so, well, if anyone's like interested. His book is on my, uh, I'm getting for Christmas, so. Okay. Yeah, in the meantime, uh, spend some time on their website because there's a lot of great info on there. Oh, I, I have. I okay, have. good, good. Okay, here's a long question from a listener. Let's mm-hmm. see what we can get out of this one if you have a minute here. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen says, I've always had sensitive teeth as a result of some massive gum recession, but since switching to paleo-style nutrition, I've noticed that occasionally I get random sensitivity, usually on one side of the mouth, on both upper and lower teeth. The sensitivity does not appear to be related to recession or any other abnormality, so what the heck? I have noticed that it seems to track with other hormonal fluctuations. Is this possible, or am I bonkers? It's real. It's real. And then she has a follow-up here. And do I have any reasonable chance of healing my receded gums naturally? Please say yes. I don't want a gum transplant. Uh, no. <laughs> what, she can, what, she, what she can do is arrest the periodontitis that she has, and that's stop it in its tracks. Okay. And doing, eating paleo should pretty much do that. Uh, she does need to keep her teeth clean, and I told you about the uh, Paleolithic skulls, mm-hmm. and I also have uh, some articles on it. Maybe you know what? I'll send, I'll send that article to you tonight. Okay. That uh, I mean, Paleo Man did have periodontitis. It did occur. Oh, interesting. And mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, I'll send that to your uh, email address mm-hmm. tonight. So look for that. But uh, you know, you know, basically, brush, floss your teeth is very important uh, for uh, gum. Uh, there are periodontal surgeries that can be done. And in her case, what it sounds like is um, with, with your gum levels, you want everything to be horizontal. 
that if you have what are called vertical defects, they can be very difficult to clean. And these surgeries, you know, tend to even things up. And if she has gum uh, transplants over with transplants, um, it uh, what it does is it um, kind of insulates the teeth and makes things better. Okay. Because what what she's going on with the random sensitivity, it sounds a lot like that. Uh, you know, as you have gum recession, the the teeth get the distance between the nerve and the outside of the tooth is smaller. So uh, what happens is uh, you know the chances of sensitivity are uh, also greater. Okay. And without, without knowing anything else about her diet, remember I talked about the parotid hormone? Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, she could be, um, you know, at times uh, that could be blocked or interfered with and uh, the fluid flow slows down and it would be, uh, it would be uh, you know, spotty, spotty sensitivity, I guess. Spotty sensitivity, okay. And okay. Did, um, that's great. Um, thank you for that. Sure. Have you did, have you read Dr. Jack Cruz's blog post called "The Teeth and Disease"? Sure. Have you read that? Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that one? Because mm-hmm. it says ties into the parotid gland and leptin and his whole leptin reset. And I was also wondering if, in some weird, strange way, if that leptin reset, you know, program by um, Dr. Cruz could have a, a, a healthy impact on the. Your, the health of your oral cavity. Um, I'm sure it does, but uh, like I said, if you've been, we haven't been eating primal our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And one thing he talks about in his uh, leptin prescription is that uh, the feedback mechanism in the um, hypothalamus of the brain. If I've been eating a standard American diet for 40 years, that uh, you know my hypothalamus may not be you know, working 100%. It might be 80%, you know, or that, uh, you know, different people can have, you know, different hormone imbalances and inflammation in different places, and it causes different problems in different people. That's why not everybody gets diabetes, you know, or mm-hmm. not not everybody has, um, has uh, you know, uh, gallstones that it's, you know, where the inflammation seeks in your body, that some people, you know, it could interfere with their parotid gland. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of back to the inflammation again. We really have to get on top of that, don't we? Sure. Or also, if imagine, imagine a world where, Brian, where everybody ate primal, that mm-hmm. after, after three generations, we'd have all the answers to all these questions. <laughs> you really believe so? That what? we would see this just that soon in just a few generations? I would think um, three or four generations. Well, that, that's a long time, actually, in human terms. Um, that, uh, because, you know, we know a lot of uh, growth and development occurs, you know, in the... In fact, Jack's talked about this on his blog, about um, in utero, where, uh, you know, the receptors and what you get from your mother mm-hmm. in terms of various hormones and sets your stage for life. I think, I think he talks about that with leptin, and that if you uh, imagine that, you know, we all start eating primal, and then we have kids who've ate primal their whole life, uh, my goal, frankly, is to put the whole profession of dentistry out of business, 
because nobody's going to have cavities. Uh-huh. Growth and development is normal. Mm-hmm. Remember, I said that's going to take a while to sort out. Okay, we raise a generation of kids. Nobody needs an orthodontist. They all go out of business. Hey, at least and, your uh, career would be over by then, so you don't have to worry about well, not, your practice. Well, <laughs> You'll be fine. Because <laughs> this well, is going to take 40, 60, 80 years. So. Well, number number one, people generally don't listen to me. <laughs> Just talk to my kids. Okay. <laughs> you know? and, and two, dentists are pretty smart, resourceful people that, uh, you know, I'm sure that if we ended tooth decay tomorrow, I could find another job or line of work. Most dentists could. And yeah. uh, when we go to lectures, very often they'll talk about we're the only profession trying to put ourselves out of business. That's not necessarily true. I've talked to a number of cardiologists and thoracic surgeons. They're trying to do the same thing. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, people that but, care, care, regardless of what industry or what, what they're working in. I mean, people that are there right. to help are, are literally right. working to not get work again. A quality roofer doesn't want to come back to your house. Right. Or yeah. my, my main thrust is if we, if we do it right and we drop all this, we're going to drop... Um, the rates of obesity, maybe we could close half the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody will have diabetes. You know, they have to look in a book to see what it was like, just like we look at smallpox now. I mm-hmm. mean, but, you know, they, these are societal paradigm level changes that I'm talking about. I don't expect them to happen. And if they do, it's certainly not going to be overnight. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, if we want to change medicine, or uh, my small part of it, dentistry, mm-hmm. you know, for the better, uh, this is kind of what we have to do, or what we have to set as our goal. I mean, like, if you go to the ADA website right now, American Dental Association, not Diabetic Association, mm-hmm. <laughs> both have the same initials, uh, they're touting the fact that we're opening three new dental schools this year. Oh, isn't that great? Mm. Three new dental schools. Well, that's three new deans. Mm-hmm. You know, a whole bunch of new department heads, a whole bunch of new professors. You know, everybody mm-hmm. gets fancy titles. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. What we're supposed to be doing is preventing disease. Mm-hmm. They should be happy. They have it backwards. They should be happy when we're closing dental schools. Interesting. Because we don't mm-hmm. have a need for it anymore. Yeah, if it wasn't a growth ba- a growth industry, it would be actually better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying there. And, uh, you know, I think uh, often, you know, people lose uh, sight of that perspective. Indeed. Um, Let's do a little little bit on an alternative um, holistic type um, dental care treatment called oil pooling. I know um, uh, Jimmy Moore brought it to your attention. I'm not sure when he actually interviewed you, um, but you were recently on the show. Um, and I was wondering if you ever bothered, if you ever had a chance to look into it. I did. Uh, yeah, he kind of caught me off guard with that because, again, that's not part of your dental school training. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> I've never. I do read the dental literature. I've never seen it in the dental literature, mm-hmm. and and I I think my answer to him after uh, umming and hemming and hawing was <laughs> I don't see how I could hurt. <laughs> okay. So okay. where do you stand but, now? But, I stand now that I still don't see how it could hurt, but like I said, if you're not have if you don't have carbohydrates in your diet, you don't need to do it. If you do, that's carbs, an interesting. That's interesting. I haven't heard anyone say that. I like. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry okay. for interrupting. Okay, I mean, if you're if you're keto adapted, you don't need to do it. If you're uh, gluco adapted, 
it's probably a good thing. The other thing I'd say, and uh, let's talk, let's uh, revisit those two uh, questions about sensitivity, mm -hmm. is I would say use uh, oil of clove if you can get it. Because okay. I know they talk about different oils. Mm -hmm. And oil of clove is one of the most powerful antioxidants uh, that we have right now mm -hmm. and would um, do a wonderful job and uh, would also help for the sensitivity huh, interesting have. yeah I, so. I used I have used um, sesame oil and mm -hmm. I've had fantastic results with that um, mm -hmm. but the, the, the cleanliness of my mouth is, is amazing even after and it, um, it, it just seems to last and last and um, the teeth seem to be a little whiter and uh, you know it could just be me wanting it to look to feel good um, but um, I did it for quite a while and um, had great results but I kind of I, I come and go from things but um so you don't think there's any harm and no, no there's it, no harm potentially there could be some benefits so there could be potentially some benefits and again if you have sensitivity and you want to do that I would try using oil of clove okay. again um, another name for oil of clove is eugenol okay so, you know, I would, I would certainly um, think that, you know, that would also help out with the sensitivity. Eugenol has been used in dentistry for a long, long time. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I don't have any sensitivity issues, so I think I'm just going to use coconut oil since I should be eating it anyways, and if I swallow some, it won't hurt anything. So, <laughs> okay. I'll just Great. get my mouth good and warm and go for the coconut oil. Now, let's, if we have a little bit of time, I would saw something interesting in your bio that um, where is it here you worked in the with uh, in for, forensics during mm -hmm. a, after the World Trade Center um, and um, for flight 587 that happened a few months after the World Trade Center oh right yeah. is that correct yes thanks it, for bringing that up that's um, yeah it's uh, you know I considered it uh, you know, sort of serendipitous, and it was certainly a privilege to do. I have no formal training in forensics in terms of uh, you, uh, you, uh, to be a forensic dentist, you have to go through an 11 or 12 month course at, uh, down, down in DC okay. at the, uh, I believe the military, uh, medical school has a uh, forensic course, and, uh, you know, so you know, if you're a dental examiner or something like that. But they were so overwhelmed with mm. the numbers that they put out a call for volunteers, and I volunteered, and they took me. Okay. Okay, so, and what they did at uh, the NYU Dental School is on 30th Street and 1st Avenue. They set up basically a triage center, and we had what was called a um, anti-mortem and post-mortem teams. And we all, you know, took turns working on each. And the um, post-mortem team was a, um, basically, we did data entry into a computer. We knew the people who were missing, and we entered their x-rays and charting that, that we received from their dentists into a database. Okay. Then the anti-mortem team would, um, you know, examine the bodies as they came in or in cases not to be gruesome pieces of bodies that came in mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know try and you know make uh, dental identifications. And I believe most of the identifications that were made, at least initially, were dental identifications, uh, not DNA identifications. So you know if you looked and you found somebody that had you know an upper denture but seven teeth on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, if you'd find, found the body, you know, you'd look for, you know, to match it with the x-ray. You say, oh, this must be uh, this person. Mm-hmm. And you match. And, uh, you know, once we had a match, you know, it would, uh, you know, you could identify the body. Yeah. How did you find that? Uh, as a, obviously an extremely sad environment, and yet um, you're bringing some, unco- you know, that process of uncovering the clues and, helping victims families and things how, how did how did that all weigh on you i was very happy because it was a skill that uh i i had learned in dental school i mean it's something you're exposed to and it was uh something just a knowledge that i had that most people in the community didn't have mm. and it was a way for me to volunteer and to give back and to give something and again yeah. it's something I, I found it very professionally rewarding uh, but to be honest, I get I get kind of angry if I hear people talk about uh, 9/11 being an inside job, mm-hmm. or it was fake or something. Because I've seen the bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay, we stored them in 20 refrigerated 18-wheelers mm-hmm. parked uh, right off of uh, First Avenue in New York City. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know there there was nothing fake about it, and uh, you know everybody uh, treated it uh, solemnly, mm-hmm. uh, reverently. And uh, it was a job, and like I said, I found it very rewarding, and I'm glad I was able to do it. I'm glad I'm able to help, and I pray that I never have to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> understood. And I, well, I wanted to thank you for um, for doing that, and and for actually, um, for having that in your bio. I think that, that that's a very good thing to to talk about uh, to have in there. You know, um, mm-hmm. um, important work that goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, like I said, uh, you know, now once uh, they got the, uh, it cleared up that, uh, you know, the standards uh, went up where, uh, you know, they only, uh, you know, have people who've gone through the training, but, uh, you know, mine was kind of a baptism of fire, you know, doing it. Right, right. But Well, thanks for, you know, sticking your neck out there and giving that, uh, you know, in giving that a go and, and, and providing that service, that was. Hey, I appreciate it. So, and I appreciate the ability to serve. Sure, uh, and I appreciate you spending um, over an hour with me um, uh, talking paleo dentistry, if, if you don't mind me saying, calling it that. Um, so, thank you, Doctor Sorrentino. Um, real quick, where should we go? Um, and do you have anything else to promote? No, no. In fact, I'll, I'll say that uh, you know, other than my website, I'm uh, you know I'm kind of new at this. You know, I do a little bit with the social networking, but uh, you know, I just want to get the uh, truth out there and uh, for people to uh, understand that uh, you know there are benefits beyond uh, weight loss to uh, you know paleolithic nutrition mm-hmm. and that. Uh, you know, having uh, healthy teeth and gums is, you know, one of the benefits. This is what the human body is designed to do and how it's designed to work. And that, you know, when you have everything working right, not only 
is your weight right? Are your hormones right? But you're not going to get tooth decay. Excellent information. I'll have um, all the link to your blog in the show notes. Thanks so much. You know what? And you know what? Thanks for being a an, an alternative thinker yet not a conspiracy theorist. You're not screaming about. You never yelled about fluoride or the dangers of this or the dangers of that. Very common sense. Standard dentistry mixed with a brand new food prescription, and it all makes sense to me. I really I, I thank you for that. Yes, yeah, follow the science. Yes. And with that, <laughs> thank you. Okay. All right. Bye bye now. Bye.